Hey there, everyone. It's Jeff from MCS Mag. Welcome to podcast episode number 179. You know, when you think about the terminology that we use in the tactical industry, and I'm, I'm talking about words like self-defense or firearm defense, it naturally presumes that someone is attacking you and you have to develop skills to be able to fight back, right? Well, of course that makes sense because I'm assuming that you're not some barroom bully or gangbanger that's out there targeting your next victim. But inherent in that terminology is that your attacker is going to have that first shot element of surprise on his side and that you have to react to it. And that puts you at a major disadvantage. Now, the key in any attack, especially when you're unarmed or don't have time to get to another weapon, is to turn the tables on your assailant and dominate him instead of being forced to react to every move that he makes. Well, how you do that is what we're going to be talking about today with a friend of mine, Mike Gillette, who has mad street cred as one of the world's foremost bodyguards and tactical trainers. Now, Mike had a lot to say on this topic, and I know you're going to get a lot out of our interview. But don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the work for you with your own little gift package we hooked up, complete with your download of the interview, a complete transcription, and a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet to help you get all the key points to refer back to at your leisure. All you have to do to get it is go to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 179 and pick it all up for free. And now, let's go ahead and check in with Mike. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. The dominant position. You hear it a lot in mixed martial arts circles. It refers to the fact that when two people are fighting each other and they're clinched up, one of them is going to be in a better position to exert control over the other. In a standing clinch, for example, the dominant position is the guy whose arms are on the inside where he can bring his weapons to bear on his opponent. On the ground, it's often, but not always, the guy on top. Now, in real-life self-defense, it's the guy with the initiative, the guy who is setting the pace and the terms for the altercation. That's why some instructors talk about attacking the attacker, because it's about taking back control, using leverage, and ultimately controlling and dominating the other guy, either with vicious force, appropriate technique, superior aggression, or some combination of these. Well, that's all fine in the realm of theory and in the world of YouTube videos of folks performing mock attacks and defenses on mats in nice, clean gyms. But what does it mean for you in the real world of self-defense and violence? How do we dominate and control an attacker? Well, that's what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And joining me today is an old friend and one of the most credentialed use of force trainers in the United States and high-end protection detail operators, Mike Gillette. Mike, welcome back to the program, man. Hey, Jeff. Good to be back. Good to see you again. Um, listen, everybody, I've known Mike for a long time, and he's one of the guys I truly admire in this business as someone who really walks the talk. Now, he's a former Army paratrooper, SWAT commander, chief of police, whose unique training and background also made him one of the most credentialed executive protection specialists around for several high-ranking CEOs and celebrities. Now, to learn more about Mike and his training, go ahead and visit him online at www.mikegillette.com. 
Now, Mike, I, I know that the, the subject of controlling an attacker, especially standing up, you talk about grappling and things like that, it becomes its own animal in and of itself, right? Like being able to gain that control. And one of the first things that we talk about is, is how you set yourself up to dominate your attacker and, or what you might do to maybe set yourself up for defeat in a way. So and a lot of that comes just from that, that interview standpoint, like where the attack hasn't happened yet. It's usually like you and, and another aggre- an aggressor, an attacker, whatever. Maybe it's a heated argument or something like that. Maybe it's the bully at the bar, whatever it might be, including it might even be potentially two or more attackers. How you position yourself in relation to that person gets to be really important. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was, if we're if we're trying to dominate attack, we're trying to control our attacker, make sure that we have that offensive advantage. What should I be doing in that interview stage, in that in that escalation stage, where you know hopefully I'm able to stop the uh, the fight, but if I can't, I want to be best positioned to be able to control my attacker when the fight goes on. So, what are some of your best tips for kind of positioning yourself so that you have that best advantage? You know, Jeff, your your setup to that was so detailed rich uh, that uh, it, it almost answers uh, some of its own questions. That was really good. Um, the the context uh, of the question is obviously, you know, self-defense versus anything that is, you know, sportive or something that's, you know, you and I are, are just going to work through some stuff at, at the dojo. So the um, the, the unique uh, premise of of an attack is the unknown or you know that that's really the unique variable and the unknown may not make itself known it may not become knowable you know for what it may make itself known very quickly and that's if you know the attacker actually you know shifts into the you know the physical part of the attack i will say that you know the attack is frequently underway well before we're, we're aware of it or Oftentimes before we're even aware that, you know, there's another person, you know, that there's a, a situation unfolding around us. So the dominant position conceptually, Jeff, I think is um, it's the information gathering uh, phase of, of the situation, which you refer to as the interview, um, where, you know, perhaps our, our bad guy is deciding, you know, is, is this someone that I can take? Is it not? Uh, and if yes, when, uh, conversely, you're having your own in, internal sort of, uh, checklist that you have to, to look at. And, you know, is this somebody who I think is going to, uh, try to attack me? And if so, what am I going to do about that? So the, the dominant position, I believe in, in that sort of interview phase is you being balanced so that you are afforded, you know, mechanically speaking, you know, the, the most potential options. You are in a position that allows you, you know, to protect yourself. Uh, so hopefully you can get your hands uh, in action uh, from a, a posture that does not look, you know, overtly threatening. Uh, at least it won't look overtly threatening to other people. Any savvy bad guy knows when, when your hands are up and they're, they're going to have a, a sense of that. Uh, the the dominant position becomes the dominant position when it's time to dominate the subject, and that's sort of the uh, the crux of of all of this. The um, the way that we dominate, you know, beyond just oh, you know, I'm you know, my arms are out, you know, outside, my arms are inside, you know, your hips are high, my hips are lower, you know, 
beyond just those simple sort of uh, physio- physiological relational components of it is the psychological component and the uh, the important process that we need to initiate uh, on our way to assuming the, the dominant position because the dominant position is not just physical it's psychological and it's us uh, communicating to the attacker and you uh, you communicate to your attacker one of one of two things and sometimes uh, those two things are, are simultaneously communicated the thing that you you seek to do is is reverse the uh, the mental orientation of the attacker okay if I've got an attacker, he's standing across from me wearing that, uh, you know, the hypothetical bar that, that's always used as the example. So yeah. we're in the hypothetical bar. And uh, he's looking at me. He's been sizing me up for a while for whatever reason. Um, he's focused mentally completely on me. And so long as he's focused completely on me, um, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because he becomes the catalyst. He becomes the initiator. Uh, even before he's initiated anything, you know, you know, things are in, in motion psychologically speaking. So what I have to do is I have to reverse, I have to undo that, that sort of uh, mental orientation, that relationship, uh, in which he's perceiving me. So I can do that one of two ways. One way is a much higher level. Uh, one way is pretty freaking simple. Uh, the way that you make the attacker stop thinking 100% about you is by making them think about themselves. And the way that you do that simply and quickly is to hurt them. Pain is the universal, you know, language. And pain, that's something that everyone understands. So you, uh, you enter with pain. You know, that, that's something I learned many, many years ago. Uh, from a f- famous uh, JKD instructor, Larry Hartzell. That was a, that was a phrase that he would use. And uh, he was a scary dude, and uh, he would enter with pain, meaning the first thing that, that uh, happened is he hurt you, and then he just continued to hurt you, and then he would, uh, you know, tie you up like a Christmas present on the ground. So uh, you enter with pain. You, uh, you do something that uh, causes, you know, some, some type of, of, of pain response, which changes the, the psychological uh, sort of framework. Of, of what's happening there. Now, the, the higher level version, uh, gets more into the, the whole notion of subject control, mechanically speaking, is you take away somebody's balance. You make them worry about falling. Anybody who's in the process of falling or is suddenly uh, being held by you in such a way that they know that if you move just a little bit or let them go, they're going to go crashing to the ground, you have their complete attention. And that's a really strange uh, effective and it's high level. It's hard to do, but it's uh, suddenly they become dependent on you not to hurt them, which, which is a pretty interesting uh, position to have somebody. If you, if you can, uh, if you have the technical wherewithal and the timing and, and the good fortune to have gotten to that place. So in your work, especially like as a, a police officer, you've had to deal with this with executive protection. You have to deal with this where you've got somebody in front of you that you don't know what they're going to do. Um, I know a lot of times officers, I mean, I guess one thing, we have a lot of people who are concealed carry. So it seems like also with the stance that you take, if you are carrying concealed, you know, do you, do you blade your body so that the firearm is, is further away from them so that maybe you can, you can hold them back with one hand. Maybe you can get to the firearm with one hand, your, your other hand while you're, you know, whatever. That's debatable as well. But 
but some of those positionings, like the spatial recognition that you have of, of where you are in relation to the other attacker, seems like that blading might be part of it as well. The other thing that I always think about is like, if we use the bar for an example, is how close are you or can you position yourself maybe near like a chair or something? Like if I need to, if things start to go down or whatever, flipping a chair down in front of me or into this guy or flipping over a table or something that I can do really super quickly that all of a sudden he has to react to that might open him up. Um, also seems like it might be part of the um, kind of like the superior position, but it requires a lot of mental thought, right? Like it, it takes a lot of uh, mental gymnastics that you've really got to kind of be, like you said, it's, it's very uh, psychological. Like domination is, is psychological as well as physical. And, you know, you can almost count on, unless you're up against somebody who has heard this podcast, <laughs> follows our stuff, and maybe is more educated than the other person, like they're focusing on the argument, right? But we're trying to get people to level of awareness, like, okay, this might go south. And if it does, in order for me to dominate this guy, there are some things I need to think about now. Like you said, there's like this little checklist that goes down. But, um, but that, I mean, that, that's a really good synopsis of how to, you've got to start the thing, you've got to start the altercation with dominance and then you said there's other other things you might have to do based upon what that person does when you're conscious of it so so mike let me ask you this you one of the things that you talk about um you have a new program out that shows people a really fast way to to be able to defend themselves without massive hours in the in the dojo i mean you realize that there are a lot of people that are really challenged especially time wise as well as money wise to be able to learn how to defend themselves and you've got a new program for that and subject control is one of those those uh those bonuses that comes with uh with the program as well in that video so um one of the things that you talk about is the science of leverage and being able to use the science of leverage when you actually make physical contact with somebody whether it's whether it's you've got to really pound this person to be able to stop them or whether it's um as a friend of mine says you know drunk uncle albert at the family picnic <laughs> whatever it might be the science of leverage can really be your friend if you use it right so can you talk about that like what are what are some of the ways to use the science of leverage to your advantage to dominate your attacker in a fight? Okay, uh, th that that's a great question. Um, can I revisit one thing about dominance? Sure. Okay, you you made a comment that uh, I, I thought was uh, really interesting. You know, and when we were talking about that hypothetical bar, and you know, th things like, you know, a, ch a chair, you know, you know, some sort of object, uh, just being mindful of those things in the environment. The uh, and that made me think of an analogy. The if you're flipping me, you know, a bunch of verbal uh, nonsense and I'm. And, and as you even intimated, uh, you know, everybody gets wrapped up in the argument. Everybody gets, you know, all, all caught up in, in, the, in the immediate emotion and the, and the gesturing and whatnot. And it's always important to remember that the argument may simply be another ruse. It may have never been about that. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm using, you know, if I'm the bad yeah, guy, I'm using yeah. emotional excitation basically to fill you up. You're so cognitively overloaded because stress does that, noise does that, uh, profanity does that, uh, you know, a sudden, you know, closure of distance. All of that is, is, is a lot of stimulus and you're trying to sort all of that out. And as you're sorting it out, you are much less effective in, in reading my body language if I'm the bad guy or, you know, 
you know, seeing my setup before you get sucker punched, those sorts of things. And it's, it's very, I think, typical for us to think about, you know, uh, a dominant position or an advantageous position uh, in the context of that moment. But your example, Jeff, of the chair, you know, and the chair could be any, you know, field expedient object in the environment that we might be able to use to create distance or even, you know, to uh, smack somebody. If if we liken dominance to uh, a, a deeper process, you know, it's like chess. If if you're a great chess player and I'm a mediocre chess player, you're going to dominate me well before I'm aware of it because I don't really have the, the, the tools to, to assess what's happening to me. And I'm not going to know until the game's – it's like checkmate. Oh, I, I guess I lose. I had no idea. That was fast. The chair is the same thing. You know, the chair or other objects, uh, you know, being aware of where, the, you know, the doors are, you know, everything, you know, is the floor slick or is it slick right there? Can I move him, you know, just by kind of sidestepping over here so that if he tries to make a move, he's going to be doing so on that wet, you know, portion of the uh, floor surface. Um, that's chess. That's that's high high level thinking, you know, really uh, assessing the environment and understanding how to use the environment ahead of time before the thing happens, if the thing happens. And if the thing never happens, great. You know, all, all you've done is just polished your skills without having to go through the stress of actually applying them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. So now the science of leverage, like how, how can someone use uh, – <laughs> that's right, my original question. <laughs> um, so but get into the science of leverage because, you know, we, we, we see this a lot, like especially with – and I'm going to ask you about larger attackers in, in a little while here. But, but leverage is – I mean, it's a scientific principle, right? You can move bigger objects with leverage. But, you know, do you know simple ways? I mean, without somebody having to go and, and – and really study this, like the, the master of the art through Aikido or whatever, like their leverage-based arts, are there simple ways that people can grasp that concept of using leverage in a way to attack somebody or, I mean, you know, to dominate somebody? Well, uh, short, short answer, yes. Uh, longer answer, yes. And, and here's why. <laughs> uh, now, did you want to uh, talk about uh, takedowns uh, or did we want to, Save save that uh, for another question. Um, yeah, we can we can just do it. We can talk about takedowns. I mean, because you use leverage a lot of times, not just for control, yeah. but also for takedowns. So yeah, let's. So if that's if that's a part of how you use leverage, if somebody can use their advantage to dominate them, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. Well, um, so as you indicated, I have a a, a set of material that uh, we just released. Uh, end to end, it's nine and a half hours of content. And as you pointed out, the the overwhelming majority of the material is designed for people where this may be the first time they've they've ever been presented with any information whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So uh, the techniques are designed to be as, as simple as, as they can be, and uh, the applications you know very clear. And there's there's additional sort of uh, contextual information. You know, protecting your you know, your children from abduction. You know what to do if you're suddenly in an active shooter situation. Those sort of uh, circumstantial, situational situations. And uh, I did get to uh, within those uh, nine plus hours uh, a presentation on subject control 
uh, for the, uh, you know, the drunken uncles of this world and, and those, those circumstances where we want to be able to I, ideally, uh, take care of a situation without anyone getting hurt. Uh, and there's, there's even an expanded, uh, presentation on, uh, breaking up a fight, which is more like you trying to keep a buddy out of trouble. It's not like you suddenly becoming, you, you know, a, a vigilant, uh, do-gooder who just inserts themselves into all kinds of crazy situations, which is not advised if that's not your job. So leverage. The, uh, the simple way, uh, that I look at leverage is not, uh, you know, use the keto example, which, uh, that's a deep art. And you have to have a lot of time invested in it to, to really make it work, which is, you know, not to dissuade anyone from training in a keto. Keto's you know, pretty cool. Uh, but you have to understand what you're getting into. Um, in a, in a simple, uh, simple way, uh, leverage as defined by Mike Gillette, uh, is, is really understanding, uh, the nature of people's balance and how to look at uh, somebody in the way they're standing and understanding how that stance is strong and how that stance is weak. And that, that's something that really sort of uh, exceeds uh, my ability to, to explain uh, without benefit of physical demonstration. But understanding that uh, that is a thing, uh, looking at uh, how people stand and uh, conjecturing something uh, hypothetical, you know, called uh, it was introduced to me as a fall line, understanding where the this invisible line that uh, runs uh, from heel to heel, and if you move perpendicular into that line, that's going to be the easiest way to put somebody off of their feet. So uh, leverage in in that case, uh, you, you're not we're not talking about locking up arms or shoulders or anything like that. Leverage in in that uh, example is what I refer to as postural leverage. Uh, I define leverage as uh, something that can either be structural, meaning we're manipulating the skeleton itself, which is a keto, jujitsu, hap keto, uh, all of those sorts of uh, joint locking arts. Uh, when you can, you know, if you're really good, seemingly effortlessly move, uh, you know, this guy from point A to point B, up, down, all around. Uh, but no, knowing how the body folds, you know, how it folds at the hips. Uh, how it can fold by uh, controlling the head, which is the simplest way to do it and the fastest way to do it. And, uh, the way that I typically, uh, teach the most frequently, uh, because it's, uh, pretty simple and you don't have to have a, a lot of uh, background to, uh, to make that work. But the, the physiological premise of a lot of uh, controlling a person's balance, uh, by controlling their head, uh, those concepts show up in, you know, the deep arts, you know, the jujitsu, the, the Aikido and, and so on. So uh, in Mike Gillette's sort of, you know, lexicon of combat, uh, leverage is an exploitable thing that uh, can be utilized by either manipulating uh, the skeleton uh, by taking slack out of the joints, which is your classic jujitsu approach, or simply, uh, manipulating the body uh, based on your position relative to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you uh, think about how you might have uh, tripped a classmate in elementary school, you know, based on where you put your foot behind them and, you know, pop, pop your arm around uh, the front of their chest and and pushed and sort of direct them down. That's leverage. 
uh, crudely applied, but nonetheless still effective. That makes, you know, that's an interesting perspective, I think, on leverage, because I mean, most people would probably think, like you saying, like with the joint locks, um, almost like, you, like you've got a, a lever that way and things like that. But um, the, un, the, the other kind of factor in that formula really is balance, because if I, if I took a 300-pound guy in front of me and I, okay, if I can grab onto his hand and I know how to do a joint lock and I do that, then that 300-pound guy, yes, I can use leverage of those joints to take him down or whatever I want to do, but he's still a 300-pound guy with a gigantic, with an arm the size of my leg, and it's going to take some effort yeah. there. I know a lot of people talk, right, but if he is off balance, that reduces the amount of, of physical leverage you would have to do with, um, with, with, with gaining control over that person, it seems. So, um, so that's an interesting aspect that yeah. I'd never really thought of when it comes to leverage in, in a real fight. So that's awesome. Okay, we've um, been talking. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, go ahead. Okay, well, um, go ahead with the, uh, the next question, and, and we, I think we're probably converging. Okay. All right. Well, actually, we're about ready to switch over to a commercial break now. So listen, everybody, we've been talking with Mike Gillette of MikeGillette.com about controlling your attacker in a real fight. And obviously, we have a lot more coming up, including how to manhandle a bigger, stronger aggressor, which we've been talking about already, but I'm sure Mike's got a few more tricks up his sleeve. And then also training for subject control, tips and tricks to master this critical self-defense skill. But first, check out this special message. Imagine staring up at a six foot nine, three hundred fifty pound biker dude, rage in his eyes, ready to cram a beer bottle down your throat as payback for bumping into him. Would you know exactly what to do without cowering in fear, without begging for mercy, without getting stomped to the floor and beaten while your family watches in horror? You will now with this simple three step plan. One, don't take your family to biker bars. That's really kind of stupid. Isn't it? Two, harden your mind with bulletproof warrior confidence. And three, master your own secret bag of shockingly powerful fight tricks. Waiting for you in your free DVD you can claim now at DefeatLargerAttackers.com. In a real fight, you don't have the option of losing. Not when your life or the safety of your family hiding behind you is on the line. You need to know exactly what to do in those first few seconds of an attack and end it quickly and walk away with your life, your loved ones, and your pride intact. In this free DVD, you'll discover the street fighting secrets for how to knock a bigger, stronger man head first into the pavement with brutal, unstoppable power and speed regardless of your size, strength, or even if you've never been in a fight before in your life. Claim your free DVD now while this offer is still available at www.defeatlargerattackers.com and unleash your true potential to kick ass. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Mike Gillette of MikeGillette.com talking about how to gain dominant control over an attacker in a real fight. And we've got a lot more to get to, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. Now, um, Mike, we talk a lot about, I mean, even in, even when it comes to like mixed martial arts and things like that, a lot, a lot of times there's weight classes. Like in sport martial arts, there's weight classes and things like this. And, and it's always the biggest question that people have. If I'm facing somebody who's a bigger, stronger attacker than me, then, you know, what chance do I have and how do I take this person out? And in this, in this topic about like subject control and controlling and dominating your attacker, um, 
obviously this is something that we have to we have to really explore a lot more. Now you have something also. I don't know if you want to bring this up, but I mean one of the things in your new um, your new self defense video program is something you call the axis technique. And I'm not really sure what that is, but um, in relation to this, if it comes into play, um, I'd like to know more in, information that you have about how to dominate your attacker that's bigger and stronger than you uh, in, a, in a real fight. Okay. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot there that's uh, really important to, uh, to talk about. That's, that's good. Uh, yeah, the, the bigger, stronger attacker, of course, in a, in a competitive context, we're matched up size-wise. And the other thing is we're matched up in terms of our knowledge base. Um, it's very seldom that, uh, you know, on the mat, in the cage, in the ring, that one fighter completely pulls out something that the other fighter has never seen before. You know, uh, I mean, you'd have to go way back to the very early days of the UFC when it was just kind of a stylistic free-for-all and maybe the sumo guy had had never you know seen Thai boxing before, uh, but uh, those days are long gone. Everybody knows everything if if they're a competitive fighter. Uh, the The only time we still get into you know, sort of gaps of of knowledge or know how, thankfully, uh, are in the real world. You know, the non sport world, um, which means that the the more the more you know the better off you are because the odds of, you know, you getting attacked by a professional fighter are infinitesimal. Uh, and a lot of, uh, you know, street attackers are not trained. Now they are experienced and they may only know one or two things, but you know, with enough conviction, one or two things can serve you well, particularly, you know, your bad guy element surprise, all of those things. So we can, uh, we can reasonably assume still that if uh, we're going to encounter trouble, uh, physically speaking, that it's going to uh, roll down from a larger mountain than the mountain that we are. Um, when I was a cop many years ago, uh, I was just as average sized then as I am now. So uh, if there were several cops that just showed up at the bar fight, and if I was the smallest one, which was pretty typical, uh, where do you think the attention went? You know, I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you're going to fight a cop, you're probably going to pick a smaller one, right? So uh, I, I, I speak with some experience of, of being the guy looking up at the bigger guy. Now, how we uh, incorporate you know, the, these notions of, of leverage uh, or you know, understanding you know, balance and dominant position in those circumstances uh, is a little bit different. Um, now, it's important that once you decide to take action, you, you take action you know, decisively. You know, you, you communicate clearly and immediately with, with the opponent, and you do so by inflicting some type of pain. But if you're going to inflict pain uh, on a larger opponent, I like to think in terms of inflicting pain in such a way that we're not just, you know, overwhelming uh, that person's nervous system with all of the stimulus that pain is, but also the the uncertainty of of stability we can take away someone's balance even you know for just a, a brief moment uh it creates that 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 quick sense of, of panic where the biggest priority to anybody who's suddenly off balance is reestablishing balance hmm. nobody really tries to fight when they're off balance the first thing they do is just try to regain their footing you know get their head over their hips 
figure themselves out. Now that can happen all very quickly, but you know that that that's a brief moment where you have their attention focused on something that isn't you. And that's a great time for shot number two and shot number three, and then you know perhaps a, a hasty exit. So what what that means in application, Jeff, is if we're going to uh, give a shot to the larger opponent, uh, I favor something you know, that's, that's very old school, you know, the kind of World War II combative zero, uh, the uh, ubiquitous chin jab, you know, where, where that hand, you know, comes up uh, from underneath, which is also great because it's visually, it's very hard to track anything that comes from below uh, and respond to it in a timely manner. And then you just quickly, you know, strike into the chin and violently hyperextend the neck. Uh, that can be a very devastating shot because that that quick whiplash effect is inordinately painful. And it, it has a sort of uh, brief stunning effect to it. And, of course, if you have somebody's head completely uh, leveraged back, um, if you're positioned right, uh, you can actually take them down. You can take them down in that shot if you're really quick and if you're really lucky. Um, typically in a, in a demo, I'll get a very large person, and it's when I'm teaching what you just alluded to a moment ago, the axis technique, that I explain this concept, you know, by you know, taking slack out of the uh, cervical vertebrae and you know, hyperextending the neck, and I can take two fingers and hold somebody by the forehead, and if I've got that head tip all the way back, they can't stand back up, mm-hmm. even if they're a really big, strong guy. And that's sort of the the demonstration that segues into teaching uh, the the components of the axis technique, which gets also into what I refer to as the takedown formula, which is something that I developed back in 2000 when I was tasked to create a state-sanctioned uh, bouncer training program, uh, which was in response to a uh, unintended death. Uh, of a bar patron uh, that resulted in a, in a court case that, that generated nationwide attention. You know, um, something you brought up I thought was really interesting uh, because when, especially when people are talking about, like, how do I hurt? Like, when we talk about pain, how do I hurt this bigger attacker in front of me? Well, it's easy to understand, okay, well, they have parts of their body that are going to hurt just like anyone else, like like the testicles. There's no machine I've seen at the gym to build up your testicles. Not that I know of, right? So, so there's that aspect of it, right? So I understand that. Yeah. I understand. I've been looking for one. Trust me. But that is, I under, people can understand that. Like, okay, yes, I can hit there and, and no matter how big he is, it's still going to hurt. But something you said I thought was really interesting because the counter to that argument is like, well, what if they're hyped up on drugs? We always say like, what if they're on PCP? I don't even know if they have PCP anymore, but what is, they always say, what if they're on angel dust going back to my seventies days, right? So that's true that it can deaden pain. Adrenaline will help deaden pain as well. But something interesting that I thought you just said was if you take away their balance, again, we're talking about leverage. We're talking about dominating attacker. We're talking about knowing where those leverage points are. That's not something like you, you deaden. Like they might be so out of their mind. They don't understand that they're, that they're falling over backwards, but not really. Like the brain will recognize, wait a minute, I don't have a base here. And although that's not maybe a physical pain, it is a reactive defensive um, factor 
that I mean that their body goes into defensive mode rather than offensive mode. They can't launch an attack if they're halfway to falling on their ass, basically. So I thought that was really interesting. So, so pulling all pulling all this together, um, what I want to do is is ask you for something that people can do out there. You're right, people aren't going to necessarily go out and join an Aikido course nearby or whatever, but um, what training drill can you leave us with that will help people understand a little bit more about the science of leveraging and dominating control, whether that's spatial recognition of, of how you position your body or whether it is, um, you know, leveraging or whatever it is, but somebody can do maybe even at home or with a, with a part training partner or something like that. What training drill can you leave us with that will help people to understand this better? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's simple and, and it's, uh, it's fun to do as well. Uh, because it, it's, it doesn't hurt, uh, your training partner. And, um, what, uh, you, you simply do is, you know, one, one person initiates and the other person responds and you, and you simply, uh, switch roles after each person has kind of had a, an opportunity to, to experience, uh, what, uh, the intent of the drill is. And that is, uh, now, if you're, if you're looking at my chest, I'm going to be the recipient as well, but this arm is going to be the arm of the person initiating the drill. So if you and I are doing the drill, you're facing me, so this is what you see, and, and this is, is your hand, this is, uh, this is your arm. And all you're going to do is, is get close to me, your, your hands are up, you know, so that you're, you've got, uh, ready access to protect yourself in, uh, whatever fashion you're, you're, familiar with or, or uh, trained in. And then you're just going to take the palm of your hand and just, you know, and this is, we're starting off very low intensity. So this isn't mm-hmm. ballistic. So you're simply going to slide your hand up, up just the center of my chest, right past my sternum. And you're, you're going to catch my chin just, just like so. So kind of like the, the cup of the palm is, is going to be right there. And, and you're not going to come at it from an angle. You're going to come very close because it all, it also allows you uh, to see how just you can be really close to somebody and, and still make this work. You can still do that, that shot. No, we're not doing that shot. We're just exploring leverage. Learning, yeah. So you're simply going to do that and you're going to keep your, the base of your forearm kind of glued to my chest and, and you're going to gently lift my chin because even gently you can, you can jack up uh, your neck with, uh, without a lot of uh, effort. So be careful with be each careful. other. So simply tip it all the way back. So, and, and you'll know because it doesn't go back any further. And then from there, that that's when the arm can start to, to peel away from the chest. And what, once you've got that, just start to push back and allow your partner to feel how easy it is in that very basic position to get taken off balance. Now, that that's sort of phase one. Phase two is uh, the typical person, uh, like let's let's say that you know you're you're a lot uh, bigger and stronger than me. So you know once once you start to figure out, we've played with it a little bit. We haven't ratcheted up the intensity, so. What, what starts to happen is that you start to tip your head down or you start to just tighten up your neck muscles and you try to fight it because, you know, sort of front to back, you know, we're, we're very strong. It, it's side to side uh, that we're structurally weaker. So what uh, what I would do then and then what you would do uh, when you reciprocate with the drill is you first catch the chin here. But instead of going straight up and back, you start you start to take it. At an angle. And that actually is, is the very beginning of the setup uh, when I teach people uh, what I call the axis technique. And the reason it's called the axis technique is because we're taking a globe 
and we're tipping it just that little bit, just like the globe in your old social studies class in, in middle school didn't sit straight up and down. It was at that slight angle. And it's the slight angle that not only takes the uh, the slack out of the cervical uh, vertebrae, but makes it very hard. I mean, you can actually hold somebody's chin about here. And it, it, if you've got it completely beyond the normal range of motion, uh, it's very difficult to come back. Now, you know, front to back, ugh, you can you can muscle out of that, or you can actually get so tight that the average person might not even be able to to push. Now, we push in training, but in in application, I mean, you would basically drive that chin straight up as high as it will go, and then come into it uh, at an angle, very fast, very hard. Almost impossible to resist, even when the guy's really, really strong. The shock of that, I mean, there is immediate pain, assuming they can feel pain. We're using our hypothetical Mm -hmm. angel desk guy from, you know, Um, Yeah, he's not going to feel that. But balance taken away is balance taken away. And um, as soon as that that balance is gone, it's very easy to control people. I mean, it's, it's the reason that I teach you know, unskilled people, how to control people by using the head, because that's the simplest way to do it. And there's yeah. all of these, you know, painful places, you know, that, that we can strike into, you know, that are that are very nearby, you know, thumbs and eyes, you know, all, all of that stuff. I mean, when, when your hands are already up here, it's it's almost overwhelming, uh, your options. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's great. And that is something simple that people can do right at home, just with the training part, just to learn from feedback from your training partner and just you seeing how their body responds, again, be very safe and cautious about it, but just seeing, hey, if I turn the head this way, if I tilt it that way, if I go straight back and get from them, like, yeah, I feel like I could push against that a little bit. Or no, when you went to the left, that, um, man, that took my, I, like, I immediately felt like I was going to lose my balance. So those are very easy ways. I think people can safely just understand these, these dominating leverages and controls that you're talking about. That's awesome. Listen, everybody, um, Look, Mike is uh, Mike has really had to put this stuff into use. He's one of the few people out there. You see a lot of uh, different like martial arts instructors and things like that, and they've never even been in a fight before in their life. Well, Mike is, has done real world, high level executive protection. Not to mention just being a police officer. I know a bunch of uh, cops out there that that know exactly what we're talking about here. Um, but for the civilian out there, a lot of these things really um, it helps with demonstration. Um, it's kind of hard to get all of this over an audio podcast if you're listening to the audio. If you're watching the video, you get a little bit more demo. But nonetheless, uh, Mike has over nine hours of training, not just about subject control, not just about leverages and things like that, but also very simple ways that the average person can quickly learn how to fight somebody even bigger and stronger than them um, using these very simple methods. And Mike's really been a, a really um, a master of that over. I've seen a lot of his different videos over the years, and, and they're really easy to understand and very well done. And they're all based upon sciences just like this. So definitely go check it out. You'll find a link directly over to the video program that he just got done doing in the resources for this podcast. So come on over to moderncombatandsurvival.com, look for this podcast, and you'll be able to um, you'll be able to see the, the link down there in the show notes, as well as going over to check out his website over at www.mikegillette.com. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare train and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. 
You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.